they want to be your thought part. They want to solve this problem with you. And part of that means that you have to let them in. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Mallory Erickson. Mallory is a fundraiser, a coach, an advisor, a consultant. And since 2018, she's successfully coached over 50 fundraisers and their organizations to increase fundraising capacity by powerfully combining tactical fundraising expertise with the best executive coaching tools out there. Mallory is a wealth of knowledge and she's been in your shoes. That's what makes her so special and insightful. And our conversation was filled with practical insights on how not only can you manage your day-to-day better and be more effective as a fundraiser, but how you can actually change your mindset and how that unlocks new potential in your fundraising strategy, gives you the ability to lead your team better and ultimately fuel your mission forward. It's a brilliant conversation. So let's dive in with Mallory. So Mallory, today you advise nonprofit professionals on how to be better fundraisers, to activate more of their donors, and just to be confident in what they're doing. I'm curious, like, again, you don't wake up and say, like, I'm going to advise fundraisers today. Like, what was the squiggle or the path that got to you to where you are today as a nonprofit consultant and coach? Oh my gosh. I just, um, I just got off a call where I think I said, I never thought I would be sitting here in this chair, uh, doing, doing what I do every day. So, um, I love that question. You know, my background, I, I have spent my life in the nonprofit sector. I've actually been working in it in some capacity since I was like 12 years old, I think maybe 11. Um, and you know, my career has really been here and, I, like so many people in the nonprofit sector, became an accidental fundraiser. I, you know, got promoted into a managing director role that came with big fundraising responsibilities. And um, I hated it. I mean, I would say for 10 years, 10 to 13 years, I was miserable in my, at least in my fundraising, um, you know, capacity. And if you had asked me when I was an executive director, my least favorite part of my job, I definitely would have said fundraising. Um, And I think, you know, what really changed things for me was kind of this act, another accidental experience where I went through and I was in a managing director role with high fundraising expectations. I went through an executive coach certification program at the same time as I was learning about behavior change and design thinking, all of these things that weren't really supposed to be, I guess, connected to my fundraising, but they fused together in my brain at the same time. And I was able to create sort of systems and a mindset that ultimately fundamentally changed the way that I fundraise. And I not only then grew an organization from a million to 2.8 really quickly, But I actually started to love fundraising because I started to believe completely different things about what fundraising was, what those conversations looked like, how to actually find the right partners, what it looks like to build strategic partnerships that support full ecosystems and systems change. 
Um, and so my work really kind of came organically out of that. I started to talk about it. People were like, oh my gosh, yes. Like, where is this conversation? I started to work with folks one-on-one and then, you know, through retainers really, you know, fundamentally changing the way they looked at fundraising. They worked with their donors, um, you know, raising more money. And then last year, um, in COVID, my work sort of exploded because I think everyone really wanted to have that conversation around, wow, fundraising is uncomfortable and sticky and awkward and why and how do we do this differently and better and feel comfortable? And I wrote this article at the beginning of 2020 or when COVID hit and that said, you know, whether or not you believe it's a good idea to fundraise right now, you're going to prove yourself right. You know, like if you are telling yourself a story that it's inappropriate to ask for money right now, you're not going to raise any money and you're, it's going to be a totally self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you tell the story that actually it has never been more important to engage our donors and to, to make, give opportunities for people to give and help our organization, you're going to prove yourself right too. And I will say like, you know, 100% of the folks I worked with in 2020 raised more than they did in 2019 because they were staying in action and they were, they believed that deeply. Um, and, you know, so now uh, this year in order to support more organizations, I um, launched a course called Power Partners Formula. So I have... um you know, over 50 organizations in there as well, working through kind of like this, I I took what happened to me that time when habit building and behavior change and design thinking and um, executive coaching came together. I've actually turned everything I learned and I built for myself into a course that other people can can use and that's designed to, um, to change the way they fundraise forever. And I love that you like were an operator and now you're trying to really teach from that position of like, I've been in the chair, which is, which is rare. And I think that's why we wanted to have you and talk through a lot of different things in partnership with you, because you've been in both seats, you've been on the inside and you've been, you know, kind of coaching from the sidelines as well. Um, But before we do that, I want to address something you brought up. You said you spent 10 years hating fundraising or it was the least fun part about your role and your job. And I'm sure someone's listening to this right now, multiple people, and this could be early stage fundraiser or seasons seasoned fundraiser, accidental, intentional. I think we all kind of fall into this, this kind of, you know, hole on, on the occasion. So for those sitting in that space right now where they're like, yes, that's me right now. What are like the three to five things that you would really refine and say, hey, focus on these things right now. Like these are the things that are important. Mm. Do you mean in terms of kind of the tactical side or or like the mindset side or both? Yeah, I think it's it's more of like, what are the three or five things you would tell them to write down right now and mm. then stop listening to this podcast and go do that <laughs> if they're sitting in that space? And maybe practical things. They may be, hey, you know, like, mm. let yourself be okay with that. Like, go mm-hmm. write that down. Like, write mm. how you feel about fundraising. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm curious how you would advise that person listening to this right now mm. who's trying to, like, just pull themselves up. But they, they're just not, they're not, they're not enjoying it. So the first thing I would say, which isn't just advice, 
for them to go do, but I just want them to hear me around. The first thing I would say is you should feel so incredibly proud of the work that you do. You should feel so incredibly proud. And this sector and the world owes you so much appreciation for the way you move money to accomplish goals and provide services that we want to see in our communities. And I know there are not enough people out there who tell you that. So first thing first, I just want you to sit with that pride. That is your first thing to do to be like, yeah, I'm a rock star and I am moving money and I am making a big impact with what I do every day. And then the second thing is to just know and bring into your consciousness the fact that quote unquote rejection or no's are an inherent part of this job and they are totally normal and they should be celebrated. I do something inside Power Partners called the seven day no challenge where I want people to get as many verbal actual no's as possible in seven days. And so I've set up this challenge for them. And there's two reasons for that. One is that a lot of our fear around no is just that we, you know, I mean, it feels like rejection. We take it really personally, right? And we just need to desensitize ourselves around that, right? We just need to actually like lower our nerves around it. And the other piece is that we need to like kind of survive it, right? And just be like, oh, I got a no and it was okay. And so I would start to track and celebrate your no's. That's number two. And to recognize that every no is just one step closer to a yes. Um, and that's just part of that's just part of the process. So go track your nose, celebrate them. The third thing I would do is really take some time today to block off your schedule for big fundraising, what you're going to call like kind of big fundraising chunks of time. And inside those chunks, my favorite is three hours. And you're going to be like, Mallory, I don't have three hour time, but move things around. Give yourself two chunks next week of three hour blocks And during each of them, I want you to focus on one type of funder, only one type of funder, and fundraising for one of your key program areas. And I want all of your fundraising in that three-hour chunk to focus only on that. I want to decrease your like context switching time because that happens so much with fundraisers. We write an individual donor about this thing and then we start to put together sponsorship levels for this other thing. And we're like, but I was, it was my fundraising time, but we're like losing a lot in the back and forth there. So block off three hours in those chunks, focus on what fundraising around one program with one type of funder. I want to highlight number one. I think it's such a good word. Like the work we do in this sector, regardless of what role you play in the sector is important. And you should be excited by that. That is a brilliant word and something we in the industry at large or leaders in this sector should celebrate more often. Um, I really love that, that thought. I want you to talk about context switching a little bit more because you touched on it and you said, okay, here's a practical way, like three hour blocks, like do this. Could you, could you like, for those that are like, I I think I understand what you're saying, but like, how does that impact me on a regular basis? How do I catch myself and kind of see within my work? Like they're reflecting back on this past week. How can they see the impacts of that? Can you kind of talk to that a little bit more? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So context switching is the idea that, you know, when we are moving from, from different type of activity to different type of activity, there's this ramp up time between those different activities that actually makes it so that the time kind of disappears into this black pit, right? Like it takes us a certain amount of time to really sink into something. And I think particularly for fundraising, we don't think about what that necessarily 
is, right? We're like, well, I just need to send that quick email to a donor. But if you were actually doing that in a more contained space where you were really focused on the program that you're going to email that donor about, and all three hours were focused on that program, the way you write to that donor would actually be fundamentally different because your brain and your nervous system would be in a different space, right? Like you would be sort of sitting in the midst of that, what that program means to you, what it's doing, right? Because you just wrote a foundation about it, or you just wrote a grant about it. And so I know before I said, ideally, I'd like you to focus on one program area and one type of funder, because that's the most specific that you could be, right? That would ensure just the most efficiency in terms of the same language is rattling around in your brain, the same benefits are rattling around in your brain, the same impact is rattling around in your brain. And so everything you put out during that container is going to be just more heart-centered and targeted and specific. If you're like, okay, Mally, I can't spend three hours just on corporate sponsorships around this one program, then fine, diversify the funder types, but still sit in that program. Just be there in it. Um, I see us so often as fundraisers focus on just the operations of the thing we have to do. And I think when we do that, we lose this, you know, authenticity, vulnerability, connection to the thing that we're actually doing it for. Yeah, no, and I think it's a good word. And I've I've heard it framed where like, regardless of whether it's three hours, 45 minutes, you know, a day, your week, whatever, is how do you how do you break it up into those chunks so that you're actually optimizing the work? Because the most uninspiring thing is your inbox, right? Like if you're like going to your inbox and you're like, ah, like every morning you look at your inbox and it's just dread and like awful. Or you go into your nonprofit CRM and you're like, uh, there's all these tasks and like, I have to do all this stuff. And like, that's the energy that now I'm going to convey into it. Mm-hmm. One thing I had done, uh, and I don't follow this, I'm terrible at it, but I would always follow this kind of cadence of like being inspired by something or like doing something that's going to like center me in whatever the work is. So I used to watch like our program videos. Mm-hmm. Like, so we would produce these beautiful films that we'd show at donor events. Like why not? Why shouldn't I watch that over and over and over again before I now go into like, production work like to produce something and so it was like how do I get inspired I would go watch like a random TED talk just to like Mm -hmm. get my mind in like the right if I'm trying to do something creative so there's like the inspire phase then there's like the production phase like produce for a set amount of time and like define that before you start like it's not like Mm -hmm. I'm gonna work on this task Mm -hmm. like no I'm gonna work for 45 minutes or I'm gonna work for 30 minutes then the third phase was reflect Mm -hmm. like what just happened like, what did I just do? Like, how do I account for the work that I did? And then the fourth was just reset. Like, how do I then say, okay, now I'm going to reset for the next block of time. Uh, and that's been really helpful. Are there other tactics or strategies that you teach fundraisers on how they can increase their effectiveness and just enjoyment in their day to day? Yeah. Well, I love, I love those four points. I think that you just brought up and it made me, there are two things that maybe I just kind of add on to that, which is something I do, um, 
from that kind of like inspire piece is I look at my calendar and I find the things on my calendar that I'm sure are going to leave me inspired. So like I knew I'd be fired up after this conversation with you. So my next hour is writing because I knew I'd be like in that place to, to talk more, write more about the things we were going to talk about today. So as much as you can tie things also to the moments where you know you're going to feel that inspiration, you're taking a donor on a tour of something. What's the next hour of your time after that? You can sort of link that. That's a big kind of like, that's been a big hack for me. Um, and then the other thing I'll say about the, the length of time, and I, and I will say people, I think maybe have definitely have more discipline than me also around this. And so they can handle a 30 minute time block. But for me, a 30 minute time block, I just move that thing on my calendar till for a month. And then I just never do the thing. Right. So the thing about the three hour blocks is not necessarily that you need three hours to do the thing that's in there, but one, it's harder to move around, right? It's harder to then find another three hour block where you're just going to switch that thing out of. And then the other thing is that our brains relax when we feel an abundance of time. And so sometimes what's happened to me when I've gone and I've given myself 30 minutes for something is once I get to that block, I'm like, you know what? There's no way I can actually do this in 30 minutes. Or I come up with all these chatter excuses, right? Around like how that's not. And then the inbox, right? The email is there, the bane of our existence. So it's like, for me, the three hour chunks, they just... Um, they give me the space and I actually produce things much more quickly. And the last hack I'll share and then I'll stop is voice texting or voice memos and getting them transcribed. The blank page, I think, is also something that really intimidates everyone. And it and fundraisers have a lot of blank pages. Um, and so when I'm feeling stuck there, I will just turn on voice memos on my phone, start talking about something, have a nine-minute conversation with myself, send it over to Temi, transcribe it, and then be like, okay, what's there? Like, what's there? Um, and I have found that and voice um, notes or whatever to just be so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I used to um, force myself to write the first email. Like if I was sending marketing emails even mm. in my work today at Virtuous or my previous company at Cosvox or when I was at World Help in the nonprofit space, like I would send myself an email first, even if that was mm. going to go out to 10,000 people. Like I wanted to ensure that I was limited. I would always write it on my phone and I would only, I would do a lot of voice to text, like you're saying. Mm. And I would send the email to me in my inbox because I wanted to experience that initial first mm. draft in the same way that someone else would experience that. Um, and so I think that's a brilliant idea. I also think the great thing about voice is that you can go do something else while you're doing it. So I don't know about you, Mallory, but like I find so much joy every single morning. I go for like an hour, hour and a half walk. And I get so much done mm. in that hour and a half block just because I'm like voice texting like notes in Slack to myself. I'm like writing emails to myself, like, like you said, do maybe doing a voice memo and then getting it transcribed. But it's a really powerful thing that I think if the like the idea of sitting down at a desk and that's the only time you can work like is really tough because there's a lot of distractions, as you mentioned. And I love the idea of that. How do you eliminate blank pages uh, before you head into work? That's really great advice. So you mentioned something interesting about this uh, 
you were referring to abundance uh, and the impact it has when you have time. So when it's like, hey, we're not rushing, but like I've created space for this. And that idea that abundance impacts your ability to do work. But I also think, you know, in our conversations previously, we've talked about the abundance mindset as it relates to fundraising and the impact that has and how we think about approaching the fundraising task. Could you double tap on that and speak a little bit more on the impact of abundance? Oh, yes. And also, I just want to say for the fundraisers who are listening right now that I know, I think, and I hear that sometimes this word can feel a little bit triggering because when we are feeling a sense of scarcity, which I think is laden in the nonprofit sector, it can feel like a really big jump to go from that to abundance. But I do think it's a really important conversation for us to have. And um, so, yes, I do. I just want to say that like we're going to ease in here. So if you're like, I, I'm not ready to hear about abundance because I, you know, someone just said no to a big grant yesterday. Like we're just going to talk about, you know, my, you know, my, my feelings around kind of abundance mindset there it's sort of twofold. One is that, um, you know, there is no fixed market for the nonprofit sector. Like the size of the sector, the amount of money in this sector is not a fixed amount, right? I think so often we believe that, you know, there's however many, you know, dollars and it's either my organization or this organization. And I just, I just do not you know, subscribe to that belief at all. And I, and I think that 2020 really demonstrated that to us, right? We did see a tremendous amount of organizations close early, but then we saw an increase in generosity tremendously. Um, And so I think what it shows us is that, you know, there is, there is enough, like there is enough. And we, and, and so if you, if abundance is hard to tap into, go for enoughness, go to sufficiency, right? Like if that's an easier, there's a book I love by Lynn Twist called The Soul of Money. And she talks about sufficiency mindset and like that, you know, we, ha- but we have to believe that it's there or we're not going to find it, right? Like when I have my client's budget for the year, we have a, an operating budget And we also have a like dream budget. Like we have a like playing big budget and I call it like the big, hairy, scary goal. And we have, and we design our fundraising plan actually around that goal. So they're not spending against that goal, but think about how much more creative, how much more inspired, how much more connected you're going to get. If you're trying to build a goal to raise $15 million, then you are to raise $1 million, right? And that is abundance. That is a practical application of abundance mindset. If you can believe for a moment, double your nonprofit's budget, triple it, 10 exit, and just take a moment to believe, to just say, actually, we could get there. And what would it take for us to get there and map it out? Not in a like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared of what this means I'm doing Tuesday next week, but just like sit in the imagination of it. And you're going to start to feel more abundant. You're going to start to see more possibilities. You know, scarcity mindset brings tunnel vision and abundance mindset is the prism. That is the win-win. That is opportunity lives there. And so the more we can set, the more we can get curious, right? That helps a lot of people move from scarcity to abundance is just get curious. What would it take? 
for your organization to double its budget? What might it take for your organization to 10X its budget? And just letting that, like I even have tingles, right? Like letting that curiosity come in and like it's safe for it to be there. Just let it be there. That's going to start to shift your mindset and see the opportunities that can lead to that abundance. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think there's there's also so much learning that even if that's not true, if you go through the exercise and you're like, oh, that was fun, but reality, right? (laughs) You'll likely have to find something between where you are and what that, you know, big, hairy, like curiosity goal that you just explored was that you're like, oh, that's interesting. Like, because I had to expand my thoughts 10x, I now had to go and like, play with different sets of Legos that, yeah, like maybe I can't afford today, but like, what is the lesson I can learn that like, I didn't even think that those Legos were there, but because I had to expand beyond my current circumstances, I was able to see that there was, you know, other tools or what I call Legos to play with, that now Mm -hmm. I can build something more interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have just six by two blocks. Like, there's like other things that I can go and explore to really build what I currently have, even if it's not that dream state, but Mm -hmm. you find those, those, uh, or you find those extra materials along the way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So one thing that's interesting is we've talked about this idea of like, okay, how do you optimize your perspective? Um, not optimize, but how do you improve your posture and your perspective as a fundraiser so that you can be better at fundraising? Then we now talked about the approach at which we're going out and we're thinking about how we can raise money for our cause with the idea that like, There's not a scarce amount of resources. There's an abundant amount of resources. Then there's kind of like, okay, now we're doing that and we're connecting with donors. Like what's, how do fundraisers have an abundant conversation with their supporters too? Like how do we even kind of make that mindset contagious? Because I think what's, what's amazing and I've seen this play out is like when a fundraiser has an abundance mindset and their ability to kind of catch fire within a donor base mm. of like, now everyone believes like that this is possible and that things are, mm. uh, things can get better. Um, what are some advice do you have on kind of like how fundraisers can like engage their donors to think bigger with them in partnership with them? I just love what you said um, just there about being contagious. Mm. Because I think one of the things that I think about a lot, you know, we we talk about mindset a lot. We use the word mindset a lot. Um, And I worry sometimes that people think mindset is like a quote on their mug, you know? And for me, mindset is like, what are the beliefs and the thoughts that are driving how you feel about something? And do you want to keep those or do you want to change them because you want to feel differently, right? When I when I hated fundraising, it was because I believed that I was begging people to give me something that they didn't want to give me. What a, that of course that is horrible. <laughs> no one wants that job, right? But when I started to believe, really believe that I was giving people an opportunity to make a change that they wanted to see, that I was how lucky they were to get this opportunity from me, me who's so spoiled living my life in the nonprofit sector, getting to do impact work every day and forgetting that not everyone gets the privilege that I do. And so it is my it is how dare I deprive someone of the opportunity to have a meaningful, impactful life, right? And that's what I truly believe. And so of course now I love fundraising because I really feel like I'm giving I'm giving a gift to people and and an opportunity and an invitation. And I think, you know, one of the things that I just kind of want to call out around this abundance conversation, well, two things that you made me think of. One is that mindset 
impacts your energy. So if you, and energy, you know, I sometimes avoid using the word energy because I think people are going to get a little woo, like, okay, she's like going down like a woo woo, you know, area, but, but energy is real. I mean, think about how much, how much you can tell when someone's mad at you, even if you're not looking at their face, right? Like you're, they, you feel their energy, right? Like energy transfers, you can feel my energy right now. And so, and that's because my energy is a direct result of my mindset. And so if your mindset is abundance, your energy is going to be in abundance. And that's what's contagious. What's contagious is that energy, right? That excitement, those tingles. And so I just, I love that you use that word. And I, so I think one thing is just like, make sure that you're showing up with that energy. Like you have to believe that before you go into that donor conversation, because even if you're saying the words, but you don't feel it, they're not, they're not going to feel it either. And then the other thing that I think creates the space for abundant conversation is transparency. I think when abundance converse, like when the, when we fall back into the scarcity, I'm literally processing this as you brought this up is like, when we are, I don't know, we're like, oh, we don't want to share that whole budget because then maybe they won't think that they're doing a big enough part. And what if we don't raise the rest of it? And so we just want to tell them about this piece of the program because this is what we want them to give to. And we like break it into all these pieces to have the donors see a part of the puzzle. And, and, and I think when, we, and then, but we're like, oh, but we're being transparent because we're sharing the budget with them. And, and my thing is like, to have a truly abundant conversation with donors, you need to lay it all out there. You need to like talk about your dream. You need to talk about your vision. You need to talk about the very clear and specific thing you want them to participate in, not in a restricted funding way, but in just a impact way, right? But you don't want, the only way for there to be abundance is for them to see your belief in the full dream fulfilled. Because if they can see the whole picture, it's the whole picture that's abundant, not that little narrow piece of your program. And so I think that's what creates this narrow tunnel vision, right? It's like, we're like, we're just going to talk about like this part of it, right? But the whole thing is where the abundance lives. Yeah. This came up on the Responsive Weekly yesterday Mm. is that... um, and I've I've done this so often, and I probably do it even today in my marketing, is we make so many decisions for other people. We decide what our donors like are capable of or what they can digest, and we only give them that. Because I think that is the fear. Like, oh, I don't want to overwhelm them. But like, if I send the... And this is like big and small ways. Like, if I send them more emails, are they going to be upset? It's like, well, what's in the... It's not a quantity thing. It's like a relevance thing. And... Well, if I ask them, if I showcase the whole project or the big dream, but then only say, hey, but we're starting with phase one, like, does it feel too big? And then like, they're not going to buy into it. <laughs> they're not going to buy into it or yeah, what is it? So yeah, how, I, how do you, mm-hmm. what's your take mm-hmm. on that? Like making decisions for our donors? Yeah, I mean, 100%. One of my, one of my sort of key pillars of the like, quote unquote, mindset work that I do with folks inside my program and one-on-one is around assumptions and interpretations. So like, what assumptions are we making about our donors and how is that getting in the way of the prism, right? Like the assumptions are just another way we go right back into tunnel vision, right back into black and white thinking, right back into scarcity. And, and 
same with interpretations. Oh my gosh, they didn't respond to me in 24 hours. They must have been so mad that I sent them the whole project. I'll never do that again. You know, and it's like, you made up that entire story based on no data, right? That's a fear-based decision. Um, so, so, you know, I think those are two things to really be aware of is like, where are you making those assumptions? Where are you making those interpretations? And I think you're bringing up a really good point that I just want to call out, which is like, we talk so often about our donors not trusting us, right? You always see those metrics around like only 56% of donors like trust their nonprofits. And I just made up that metric. So, but you know, it's low, it's low. And, but we do not trust them. Like we do not trust them to be able to navigate these complex challenges with us. And I think particularly when we're talking about transformative funding, major donors making those big asks, you know what? Give them the space to ask you, why is that the first step in this vision? Give them the opportunity to look at the problem with you, to get invested, to figure it out, to hear you say, you know what? I have to be totally honest with you. I am not 100% positive that that is the first step, but here's everything that went into me making that decision. And I think we have to try it to know how to move forward. And it's going to tell us whether it's the right first step or the wrong first step. And if it's the wrong one, then here's where we're going to go. But it still has to be the first step because through this, we will learn X, Y, and Z. I think we avoid, we are so afraid of being questioned or, you know, that the conversation is just going to be totally shut off. And I think particularly with these bigger donors, they want to be your thought part. They want to solve this problem with you. And part of that means that you have to let them in. Mm. I would even take it a step further because you said, oh, like donors don't trust us or fundraisers, organizations, etc. We don't necessarily trust the donor that they either care or that they're going to get it or that they're going to like step up even mm-hmm. if we present a viable case. But to take a full circle back to where we started this conversation, I don't know if fundraisers trust themselves, right? Like, do you mm. believe in what you're putting out there? Like, and and I think this is this is like a really hard gut check. And like we've talked about this on the weekly. I've talked about this one-on-one with fundraisers, where they're like, Yeah, like I'm I have to raise this money. This is my job. I'm trying to raise this thing, but like I'm not even sure if what we're working on is like the right thing, or like I'm not, I don't even fully understand how we're doing it. I'm just the fundraiser. And it's like gosh, if you don't trust yourself or the organization you're working with or like what you're presenting, like I think that shows up. Like you mentioned, you can feel how someone else is. Like if I don't believe that our solution to ending like below or childhood poverty in the Phoenix Valley, like is a good solution. Like I can't ask you to be a part of that partnership because it is about partnership. You're not, you're not selling you know, iPhones that ring in the middle of an interview, you know, like you're you're selling, like, like you're, you're inviting people to be a part Mm. of something to make an impact. And like, you have to believe in it and believe that you actually like are part of that. And Mm -hmm. I think those are some of the biggest fundraisers. And it's not just the ones that are like extroverted and like the salesmanship is brilliant. Mm. It's just like, even the quietest fundraisers that are just like, but you know that it's like burning inside of them Mm. that they deeply believe in this work. Mm -hmm. And they're excited to be able to pull people together and say, hey, we're going to partner together to make this happen. Like, isn't that amazing? Like, isn't that an incredible opportunity that we have? Um, And that like, 
it's something that you talk a lot about, Mallory, is like being authentic and vulnerable. Like you talk about being transparent, but I also think it's showing up like as a fundraiser authentically and vulnerably and saying like, yeah, the world we're doing is hard right now. Like here's my kid and here's my dog or my cats on my keyboard or whatever it is. And like, I know you're probably struggling that through, but like, this is still important and we're coming together and we have that opportunity. So I want to end on that. You know, as we think about showing up fully as fundraisers, showing up to serve our donors, showing up to pull together impact, you know, making partnerships to, to drive our world forward. What's kind of the one to three things that you would leave fundraisers with as they march through 2021 um, to keep in focus as we close today's conversation? Mm. Well, one thing I just want to say before I give the fundraisers three things is I think what you just said is so critical for the leadership of organizations, for the executive directors, the CEOs to to recognize that if they want their fundraisers to be transparent, they have to be transparent with their fundraisers and they need to model for their fundraisers why they why is that step one? What are they trying to figure out? What is the vision? Um, because your fundraisers can only do that if you are doing that too. Um, and so I just sort of want to call call that out um, because I think what you just said there is so so critical. Um, and then you know I think I think for twenty twenty one and beyond, you know I think the other thing you're bringing up, and so I'll bring this into my kind of three points to close. You know, one is find your alignment. Find your alignment with the organization. What is the thing you really believe in? Is it a certain program that you're like, this is it, like this is what, and use that to fire you up around everything else. You know, find, is it the leader that you really believe in? And maybe you haven't figured out the perfect model yet. You know, that's okay, but you think the answer is there, you know? So, so find what, you know, find that alignment. I think two is, have bring awareness to what's happening in your mind and in your body around different donor conversations and the work that you're doing and just give yourself some space to feel your feelings and to know that they're normal if you're feeling discomfort or that little pit in your stomach or you're really nervous like I think we showed each other a lot of grace in 2021 um, or in 2020. And I just want to see that continue. And I want to see people do a better job of giving themselves that grace and that space. So, you know, bring awareness to, to how you're feeling and those beliefs and those thoughts and how you shift them. Because just giving, you know, just saying, oh, I shouldn't be feeling negative right now is not going to make you feel positive, right? So just like giving yourself that um, that space. And then the third thing is, is to celebrate what you're doing every day. Celebrate what you are doing every day. And I don't care if you got a no, nose all day long, like to take some time, block it on your calendar right now, 10 minutes, the end of every day, I want you to sit there and I want you to write down three things you are proud of. And maybe that proud of is that you didn't cry when the $100,000 donor said no to your face. You know, that's like, like, I don't care what it is, but something that helps you really tap into, you know, how resilient you are. Um, to be showing up every day, um, doing this hard work, trying to change the status quo, you know, moving money in unconventional ways, right? Um, that's that's so critical. Absolutely. Well, on that note, we will close. And how can people connect with your work, Mallory, and get connected even to you know some of the the courses and re, uh, content that you mentioned? 
Oh, yes. So I, um, you can find me on my website at MalloryErickson.com. And if you want to come to my um, webinar, which is um, how to raise more from the right funders without hounding them, um, that's just at MalloryErickson.com slash free. And um, kind of the one social media platform I am better at is Instagram. So you can also um, find me at Mallory underscore Erickson underscore coach and send me a DM, say hi. I love, I love connecting with all of you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most. Your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. 